This is the Ned Group Investments Podcast, a space where you can learn more about our fund managers, the funds they manage, as well as getting up-to-date and important developments affecting the investment world and how they might be relevant to you. Our first speaker today, as I mentioned before, is Marco Canantonio. He's one of the PMs at Resolution Capital, and they manage the Ned Group Investments Global Property Fund. It's quite rare in global property funds to find a fund that has consistently beaten its benchmark over several market periods. And Resolution Capital have managed to achieve this. Marco, we look forward to hearing from you about how the fund has performed in 2020 and then turning our attention to 2021, seeing where you see value in the market. Over to you, Marco. Thanks, Doug, and uh, good day to everybody. Thanks for joining. Uh, so today I'll provide an overview of the global listed property sector, incorporating a recap of 2020 and how our portfolio performed, as well as an outlook for the listed real estate markets and uh, how our portfolio is positioned. So it's fair to say that 2020 was a uh, tumultuous year. The, real est- the listed real estate market produced a total return of about minus 11% in local currency terms. However, there was significant bifurcation, as you can see in this chart, uh, since the beginning of March, with the sectors most vulnerable to the effects of the pandemic, such as hotels and retail and office, which is the, the light green lower line, producing a total return of minus 14%, materially underperforming the more resilient sectors some of which, in fact, benefited from the pandemic, such as uh, data centres, uh, telco towers, industrial, residential and self-storage, and they returned positive 9%. And the major news impacting markets, particularly in November, was the announcement of several successful vaccine trials, which provide a path towards social normalisation. And so that means the prospect, as far as real estate is concerned, of returning to physical shopping, to dining out in restaurants, to catching a movie at the cinemas, to business and and leisure travel, and perhaps even heading back to the office. All activities that were significantly curtailed during the pandemic. Now, to what extent and over what time frame? Key uncertainties that we'll explore a little bit shortly, but it has generally meant a reduction in risk for the most challenged property sectors you can see circled here. And we saw a sharp rotation with the COVID losers, as we've called them, narrowing the gap to the the COVID winners quite dramatically in November. Now, how did we do? Well, our portfolio is skewed towards those more resilient sectors indicated by the, the dark green line at the top here. And over 2020, we outperformed the benchmark quite, quite significantly. And over the long term, we continue to to also produce better than benchmark total returns. But clearly, we did give back some of that alpha in the fourth quarter during that vaccine rally. And we attribute that really to three things. Firstly, as I mentioned, our portfolio is skewed towards the more resilient sectors. And while they still produced positive returns during that quarter, they didn't participate in that rebound that that I highlighted in, in the prior slide. Secondly, we were, I guess, underexposed to value stocks that bounced pretty hard despite some ongoing operational challenges that we see for some of those sectors. Thirdly, we are also underweight the more highly levered 
REITs that are still facing quite significant structural headwinds. And some of those were very strong performers in the fourth quarter. Now, we don't mind being wrong on that front on the third point because our investment philosophy is skewed towards downside protection and we prefer much more conservative balance sheets and companies with much better earnings visibility and pricing power. But on the second point, we we had selectively increased our exposure to some of the the COVID-impacted value segments in in recent months, for example, student housing and, uh, and also some select retail. Uh, which did experience a good bounce, but we didn't have enough. And our concerns really still revolve around ongoing poor visibility in terms of rental cash flows and also tenant credit concerns in a number of those sectors. But over the year, we did outperform uh, the benchmark by about 450 basis points, with um, the strongest contributors highlighted on this slide over calendar 2020 being our underweight exposure to retail, some stock selection in residential and office, as well as our overweight exposure to industrial. And one of the interesting points about our attribution over the 12 months was that some of the specific names that contributed positively over the year, uh, such as data center powerhouse Equinix, some of the industrial REITs like Prologis and Nippon Prologis were strong performers over the year, but actually detracted in, uh, in the fourth quarter with that rotation that I mentioned. Now, in terms of portfolio positioning, particularly highlighting some of the changes that we made in the portfolio since uh, the onset of the the pandemic in February. You can see on the left-hand side of this slide that we increased our uh, exposure to retail. We had one of our largest underweight exposures to retail going into the pandemic, and we've moved that now to more of a neutral relative to the benchmark. And much of that has been at the what I call the safer end of the retail spectrum, focused on non-discretionary oriented or value retail formats, which we believe are more resilient to e-commerce and are also uh, another area of focus for us is, is looking for retail in markets with moderate amounts of supply per capita, retail supply per capita. Uh, we also increased our uh, residential exposure and that was mostly via student housing, which is normally very resilient during recessions, as you, you tend to see increased uh, university enrolments when uh, economic conditions are tougher and the jobs market deteriorates. We also increased our, the self-storage, which usually thrives in, in times of turmoil. There's an old adage that says that storage demand is driven by the 4D life events, divorce, death, dislocation and downsizing. And perhaps you can add a fifth now, unfortunately, disease. Uh, We also, you can see on this chart, we reduced our office exposure from what was a pretty large overweight uh, only 12 months ago when, you know, if you you cast your mind back, we had relatively low unemployment. We had low office occupancy rates, sorry, low office vacancy rates, I should say, and strong rental growth. But we reduced our office exposure very quickly as uh, recessions are never good for, for office markets. And of course, you also had the conjecture over the impact of working from home, which I'll talk about shortly. We also reduced our US healthcare exposure, which was mostly around our concerns around senior housing. And in regionally, as you can see to the right-hand side of this chart, we did increase our exposure to Hong Kong following the, uh, the social upheaval and also the geopolitical events of the prior year, really, that negatively impacted those stocks even before the onset of the pandemic. And so the stocks were already beaten up. And given that Hong Kong had handled SARS pretty well, we took the view that they were better prepared than most to to handle the pandemic and the stocks were were relatively cheap to start with and, and had good balance sheets.
So in terms of portfolio overall portfolio positioning, look, the vaccine is clearly positive news, but there's still a lot of questions that remain in terms of the lasting impacts on society and, and on the economy and how we use real estate going forward. And despite those uncertainties, the equity market seems to have priced in a relatively smooth recovery. We're hopeful that that, that is the outcome. But we still see a fair bit of uh, disruption to to many businesses and particularly uh, traditional property segments like uh, retail, office and hotels. And so consistent with our investment philosophy prior to COVID, we continue to focus on holding a diversified portfolio of real estate that can generate resilient cash flows with robust balance sheets. So that includes sectors such as residential property and clearly a a basic human necessity. It includes logistics, which is benefiting from the e-commerce trend, cell towers and data centers from the digitization of the economy. These are areas that we think have got supportive demand drivers and will endure beyond COVID, but we also have selectively increased our exposure to some value segments in retail, in office, uh, self-storage and in healthcare. Now, turning to the market outlook, clearly there's been a lot of headlines about tenants not paying rents. And that's certainly been the case in hotels and in retail. In fact, hotels, you know, EBITDA has turned negative. They're not covering their costs. But in, in many other segments of the property market, rent collections, as you can see in this chart, are actually uh, pretty good, mostly above 95%. So that's translated into reasonably resilient earnings for the for the sector as a whole. Now certainly REIT earnings have been much less volatile than the broader equities market as this chart shows here over the last eight years and projecting forward for the following two years almost level pegging. And interestingly that, that also uh, well despite on a cumulative basis the REIT's been slightly behind the S&P 500 uh, earnings growth, you should remember that that the S&P did benefit from Trump's tax cuts in 2018, whereas the REITs, given they don't pay corporate tax, uh, did not benefit from that. Um, so adjusting for, for that one-off tax cut uh, looks like REITs and, and general equities level pegged in terms of uh, compound earnings growth um, since 2012. And much less volatile. Uh, than, than the general equities market. And this resilience has also been evidenced via dividends, which is an important driver of total returns. And as at the end of the fourth quarter, 94% of our portfolio uh, had either maintained or increased dividends through the pandemic. Now, listed reads are also trading at a discount to recent private market values. Transactions that have been completed in the the recent months have been done at sometimes materially higher values than those of comparable listed real estate portfolios. So to give you an example, the second transaction listed on on this table, one of our portfolio companies, Alexandria Real Estate, a leading provider of uh, office and lab space for, for biotech and pharma companies, sold two office assets in San Francisco at pricing that's that reflects around about 30% above where one of our listed office peers and one of the portfolio holdings, Kilroy, which is focused on on San Francisco office, currently trades. And another example, AIMCO, which is the first one on this list, a US multifamily portfolio, sold a block of apartments to an institutional investor at a 4% cap rate. While in the listed market, you know, companies such as Equity Residential, which is in our portfolio in Camden, are trading at circa 16% discounts to that level. 
and reflecting these discounts that are available in, in the in the listed markets, we've seen private equity companies looking to take advantage of uh, of the dislocation by both buying stakes in listed REITs, as well as making approaches to take them private. Now, interestingly, despite pretty supportive credit markets as well for the, for the REIT sector in general, and resilient earnings and dividends. The real estate sector has underperformed the broader equities market and the bond market, and this derating is potentially an opportunity uh, as the virus subsides and, and social norms uh, begin to return. So the things that matter for REITs, people often get very focused on interest rates as a driver of real estate values and REIT valuations. And we believe interest rates are important, but the two things that really matter to us are supply and leverage. And on the left-hand side of this slide, you can see that supply remains pretty moderate in a historical context, particularly the, the lower light green line, which is a construction as a percentage of inventory, which only got back to the long-term average of about 1.8% pre-COVID and has actually since dipped. So that bodes well for reasonably tight uh, supply conditions going forward. And on the right-hand side, in terms of leverage, REITs have maintained discipline this cycle uh, by not over leveraging into rising asset values. So a couple of thoughts on office markets. Now, many of us have been forced to from home and uh, interestingly, technology seems to have accommodated that shift surprisingly well. So the question is how much of that will endure post COVID? We believe that work from home will be more widespread uh, post-COVID, but is, is by no means the end of the, the office. We firm believe is that ultimately the office is pretty important for collaboration, for mentoring, and particularly for business development. But ultimately, some people will still work from home more often than, than they had previously, and, and so therefore net office utilisation will probably likely be lower. But it's important not to confuse that long-term structural decline in demand, which might be quite moderate, with the, the short-term spike in vacancy that you can see in the right-hand side of this chart, of this slide, where mostly sublease space is being dumped onto the market, reflecting corporate uncertainty about how much space they actually need. That space could be potentially withdrawn quite quickly. And there's also a lot of focus at the moment on, on corporate cost-cutting. But as a result, our portfolio has some of the lowest uh, exposure to traditional office that it has in, in uh, many years. In terms of retail, it's one of the most challenged sectors uh, operationally. We've seen a spike in e-commerce penetration, record store closings, and things are likely to get worse before they get better. But remember, retail's not, not all retail is created equal. Omnichannel is the key to retail success, using both online as well as physical stores to sell your product. And some retailers like Target Corporation in the US have been very successful in using their physical store network as their last mile distribution hub. And we're selectively looking for value in this sector, uh, particularly formats that, that continue to service the way consumers want to shop. The ongoing adoption of e-commerce has clearly led to a surge in investment for distribution and supply chains, and that's been generating strong returns for industrial and logistics properties. And the chart on the left here shows the explosion in logistics supply and chain uh, supply chain property for Amazon to accommodate its online businesses. And to give you an example, Prologis, one of the leaders of the industrial property sector, has basically said that they believe that rents uh, rental growth in their markets is higher now than it is uh, than it was prior to the pandemic 
And data centers and towers were clearly the surge in demand for and usage of data for these uh, data-hungry apps that were using it to work from home or to uh, watch Netflix or to, to buy things online has led to a huge surge in uh, data usage and mobile data usage. Cloud spending has, has surged and uh, that bodes well for the data centres, which part of the, form part of the, uh, the global real estate index and indeed our portfolio. Now, I was going to cover off a slide on uh, Venovia, which is one of our portfolio holdings. It's uh, one of Germany's largest owners of residential apartments. And one of the really interesting things about the German residential market is that it is rent controlled. So rents are very low. That disincentivizes developers to build to build new supply. So you have a structurally undersupplied market. And uh, that's led to very resilient performance from uh, companies such as Venovia has contributed quite significantly to our, uh, our performance over the last uh, 12 months and beyond. So bringing that all together, the news of successful vaccines is clearly a positive. And in the short term, those sorts of developments have, have had a great, the greatest impact on those areas of the market that were most challenged, retail, hotels and office. But we clearly see some risks continuing in some of those sectors. And it may take many years for, for those type of sectors to return to their pre-pandemic uh, level of cash flows, if, if at all. So we remain focused on a diversified portfolio, resilient cash flows, strong balance sheets, while continuing to look for some select value opportunities in those, uh, in those areas that have been neglected. Generally, the global REIT uh, sector is well positioned. Credit is available uh, and attractively priced for, for most property types. And uh, the sector is, remains well capitalised and we don't see an oversupply of, uh, of new building. We think it offers relative value, having derated versus equities and, uh, and, and also dividend resilience, at the same time trading at a discount to direct property markets. So we think that the, that positions the sector well for, for the future as we emerge uh, out of COVID. Uh, with that, I think I'm out of time. Thanks very much and back to you, Doug. Thanks, Marco. Appreciate that. You've covered quite a lot of detail there. I, we have time for maybe one question. And I guess one of the, one of the things that really pointed out there was that 94% of the portfolio is still paying its, its dividend, which is, which is quite exceptional in, a year, in, a, in an environment where, I guess, so many investors are chasing yield. I just wanted to ask you a quick question on what are your expectations for the yield of the portfolio for 2021? And do you feel that, this, that the property sector will come back into favour for investors during this year? Yeah, so yield is, is in the low 3% range. And it's important to point out that we favour property companies that uh, are very conservative in, in the way that they pay out their, their earnings. And so that's on a, a payout ratio in the, in the range of about 65 or 70%. So they're retaining cash flow uh, to be able to continue to reinvest in their portfolios, which we think is really important. We don't want companies that are overpaying their dividends then uh, seeing their leverage creep up as a result because you do have to spend money on your portfolio. In terms of whether the real estate market comes back into favour, look, you sometimes have to be patient. I cast my mind back to previous uh, periods where real estate was out of favour. The really important thing to remember about the global real estate market is that it offers a broad opportunity set. As I've mentioned, data centres, cell towers, uh, industrial are exposed to some of these growth segments of the market, backed by tangible assets. They're well capitalised. They're not over levered, and uh, and so we think that um, that bodes well for a reasonably good returns through over time. And therefore, um, we're not too concerned about any structural uh, issues with uh, with the sector.
Mark, I'm sure we could spend ages talking about the property sector, but unfortunately that's all we have time for today. Thank you again for your time. Pleasure. Thank you. Negroup Collective Investments is an authorised collective investment scheme manager in terms of the Collective Investment Schemes Control Act. Negroup Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit negroupinvestments.co.za.